Welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm your host, Bruce Waller, where I get to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our community. What did they do to get started and what are they doing to stay there? And today, oh my goodness, we are at the end of quarter one of 2022, season three, and I have another special guest. Her name is Joy Rothschild. She is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Omni Hotels and Resorts. And Joy, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. So I always like to reflect on when I met someone that I've had on the show or just kind of go back. And for you, we go way back. I remember uh, I met you in the Dallas HR circles. Uh, In fact, I was trying to think of when you moved to Dallas, because I believe our team actually helped you move to Dallas during that time. When was that? That was July 2013. 2013. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I remember that well, because in, in 2013, we doubled the size of our company and we doubled the amount of our employees. And it was the craziest year business wise. And then in the middle of it, we moved. Well, you know what I, why I remember that is because I was not the account manager during that time, but I remember the account manager got a letter from you saying, Hey, thank you for the service. It was, you know, great experience. And I just, anytime someone like sends in like a note like that, I'm like, Oh, that is so like, that is incredible. You know, first of all, you got to take the time to write it but you have to have a good experience. And I know we're going to be talking about experiences because you work for an incredible uh, hotel. And so I want to kick off the show uh, with you, if you don't mind, for those who are listening and don't know Omni Hotels, would you mind sharing just a brief highlight and and how you serve your customers? Yes, I'd be delighted to. Um, So we are a privately held um, hotel company, which is very unique in the hotel space. Most hotel companies, um, they manage hotels for other financial institutions. So they're not always in control of the brand. We own the real estate. We own the hotel. We manage the hotel. We're partners in a handful, but most of it is us. Wow. And that makes Omni very unique. We have 60 hotels. And during COVID, we actually opened... We opened Omni Oklahoma City, 800 rooms, amazing facility. We opened Omni Viking Lakes in Minneapolis. We opened the Omni Boston Seaport, 1,000 rooms, over 100,000 square feet of meeting space. We are building PGA Frisco, and we are building uh, the new Omni Tempe in Arizona. So we have a lot going on. I got to tell you, Omni is one of my favorite places. And I'll tell you one place that I I visit every year, and that is the HR Southwest Conference. We're always staying over at the Omni right there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, I see, you know, I live not too far from the star. So driving and seeing the Omni at the star. But then I, I just read about PGA. So the PGA, is that opened? No, it's opening next spring, and right now it is the largest hotel development project in the United States. And if you drive to the Star and you look in the distance and you see a whole bunch of cranes, that's the Omni PGA Frisco Resort. It is going to be spectacular. Oh, my gosh. How yeah, it's going to be a game changer. 
how energizing to work for an organization where you could say, hey, look, and you get like excited about seeing these projects uh, yeah. and you've been there for a long, hey, well, let, let's let's kick this off. I want to hear the Joy Rothschild story. I would love to hear like, where did you grow up and how in the world did you get into uh, leadership and HR? Okay, it's a funny story. <laughs> I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. My family owned um, summer camps. And so my dad was a coach at a high school during during the winter and in the summer, we had summer camps. And one of those camps was a traveling camp. We took two busloads of teenagers cross country for eight weeks. It was, I, I can't believe my father did this. It was amazing. And so I spent years going cross country, driving and camping out in national parks. I wanted to be a park ranger. So I went to the University of New Hampshire and for the first two years, I was in parks and recreation. And then I heard about hotels. There was a hotel program and I never stayed in hotels. We, um, we were not the kind of family that really could afford to stay in hotels. And so I switched my major and um, <clears throat> I graduated with a hotel degree and I had an offer I had offers from a couple of companies and one of them was called Dunphy Hotels, which at the time just owned New England Inns. And I was pretty close to accepting that offer and a company came up to New Hampshire. They came in a Rolls Royce. They were from New Orleans. It was a freestanding, very famous restaurant. I shall not name that restaurant. And they wanted to hire the first maitre d', first female maitre d' in the restaurant. And they offered me the job and I took it. And my professors said, why are you doing this? This is crazy. It's one restaurant. But I was, you know, the glamour and the glitz of the Rolls Royce and being the first female, it was, it was very flattering. So I took the job in New Orleans. I get to the and I am thinking everyone's going to be so excited to have the first female in the room. And that was wrong. Um, nobody was happy to have a female maitre d'. And not the customers, but the employees. And so um, it was a bit of hazing that went on. But one Saturday night, and I don't think I was in the job three weeks. One Saturday night, the room is full. A rat runs to the middle of the room and there's this very ornate fountain and the rat dies. And the head maitre d' said to me, go pick up the rat. And I said, I'm not gonna pick up the rat. And um, the next day, somebody else picked up the rat. The next day I said to myself, I made a huge mistake. I shouldn't have taken this job. So I called Dunphy from a pay phone. I know a lot of your listeners don't know what a pay phone is. <laughs> I'm in it. <clears throat> I called Dunphy and I said, I made a big mistake. You had offered me a job in Chicago. Is that job still open? And they said, no. Hmm. But we have, we, we have a job open in New York. Would you go to New York? And I said, Sure. I just wanted to get out of New Orleans. Yeah. 
I fly to New York. I have the address. I pull up to the hotel. It is across the street from Madison Square Garden. It's still there. It's called the Hotel Pennsylvania. 2,000 rooms, not the nicest hotel. I'm walking through the lobby saying, please, God, do not have a room in my name. But they did. So I check into this 2,000 room hotel and I started a management training program and um, I just fell in love with the business. I fell in love with the company, um, worked there for three years. Then I went to Maine um, in a very small hotel. And then I went to the Parker House in Boston and I kept progressing in my career. And I eventually worked my way up into this job and I had not been in it very long. And the company was sold to an oil and gas company in Texas. And I was excited. I said, you know, they're oil and gas. They don't know hotels. I've been here 18 years. They're going to need me. And the day they bought the company, they fired the top 45 people in the company, including me. And I was in shock. And for anyone who's ever been fired, it just it's an awful feeling. I, I, I didn't take it personally because they didn't know me, but um, I, it, was a, it was shocking. So I ended up getting a job at Carnival. I was the top HR person at Carnival. Moved to Miami, had a great time, learning a new business. And I get a call from Omni. And they said, we made a mistake. Would you ever talk to us again? And again, for anyone that's ever been laid off, that's the phone call you dream of. <laughs> it never comes. Well, I got it. And that was in 1998. I was seven months pregnant. As a total coincidence, I married a physician from New Orleans. So life brought me back to New Orleans. But um, I came back in 1998 and, and I've been here ever since. So I've had a very long career with Omni, but I've worked for this owner since 1998. I love that. One thing that I know, uh, there is a common thread for uh, leaders that live life in the leadership lane is they all have a different story. And I love your story. You know, I was thinking, uh, man, there's so much there. First of all, being seven months pregnant, getting that call. I mean, there's just like, think about that. Like how emotional that is. Do you oh, remember like how emotional that was for you? It, it really was because um, I always loved Omni and I never stopped loving Omni. And a lot of the people that were terminated when I was were very bitter. Mm-hmm. I was never bitter. I said, they don't know me. You know, I was 36 years old, so it wasn't hard for me to find a new job. But what I do remember, um, when I came back, I realized how much good was still here mm. and, and, and how much freedom I had to shape the culture. And, and in retrospect, I'm glad I got fired because first thing a, a new owner does is get the financials in order. So there's a lot of cutting and <clears throat> reorganizing and 
<clears throat> you know, eliminating functions. And I missed all that. I didn't have to do the getting the financials in order. When I came back, it was, we want a better culture. We hear you're a culture person. And I, I came back at the perfect time. And, and I also, um, I also really liked the owner and he was a straight shooter and I was a straight shooter. And so I just, it all kind of happened in the right way. And, and it also, the other funny thing is, you know, when you grow up in one company, when I got let go and then I found the job at Carnival, there was another executive who I was very close with. And she also found a job relatively quickly. And I remember she called me before we started our job the same week, she said, you know, we've been with the same company our whole life. Like, what if we don't know what we're doing? And I'm like, I know I'm terrified that I only know Omni. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting in my office in Miami at the end of my first week. She's in Colorado. She called me. She said, Joy, it's Judy. And I said, hi. And she said, I know what I'm doing. And I said, I do too. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am better than I think I am. Like it was such a moment for me. Well, you know, it really is true when they talk about, you know, life, it, it's it's 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. And you were talking about how you weren't bitter about it and how you were open-minded about it and went in through a, with that different aspect. I love that. Hey, you also mentioned something else that I thought was very, very fascinating. You said uh, the owner, you, you, you used the word straight shooter, right? But you connected, yeah. like you connected. And I always like to ask my guests on, on, on the on the podcast about, you know, people that have helped them along their journey. I call them mentors. They can be sponsors. But like, were there some people that really have helped you get to where you are today? And, and if so, like, what was it about them that, that helped you? There were really two people stand out in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, so... I, I will say a sentence, and, and I've said this a few times recently in public speaking. I have never had the qualifications for any job I was put in. I was always put in over my head, always. And, um, and I rose to the occasion, and I really subscribe to that. I, I don't think you need every single qualification on the list to get the next job. But when I was the corporate director of HR, we had this um, gentleman, Simon Cooper. He was our, I think he was the COO or the EVP. And the top HR person left. And it was a Friday night and I was going home and he called me into the office and he had the org chart um, on the table and the, the VP of HR job box was empty. And he said, Joy, how would you like your name to go in that box? And I said, oh, my God, I'm, I, that's my dream job, but I'm not ready. And he said, well, I know you're not ready, but I like your attitude. I like your energy. I think you can get there. He said, I'm giving you the job. So I start gushing. I'm like, Simon, I'm, you're going to be so proud of me. I'm going to work so hard. You won't. He, he said, Joy, stop. He said, a man would never do this. He said, shake my hand, say thank you, and get out of my office. <laughs> and 
you know what? He was right. Like I earned it. I shouldn't be like subordinating myself to it. So he was a very big influence in my life. Um, great leader. The other person is really my owner, Bob Rowling, um, who is one of the smartest men I have ever met in my life. Mm. And he, he really challenges you um, to be a business person. And so things you would take for granted and you know, we need a different kind of 401k match, or we need to do these personality tests, or we need to have this benefit. Bob always challenged me, what, what's the business case for this? Losing hmm. because I don't have this. Who's going to stay with me longer if I do? He was always challenging me to come up with the business case for HR. And it really made me a different kind of leader. And, and I would tell you, um, we just had our annual conference and we called it the family reunion because we hadn't seen anybody so long. And I said to the audience in my talk, don't mistake family for lack of accountability. I said, because no one has pushed me harder, raised the bar for me harder, forced me to be a better business person, harder than Bob Rowling. Hmm. No one has loved me more than Bob Rowling and treated me like a family member more than Bob Rowling. They're not mutually exclusive, but I think he really pushed me in an HR world. A lot of HR people say they want a seat at the table and they want a voice and all that. And I'm like, I've had the voice, yeah. have the seat at the table. I need to earn that seat at the table every day before someone pulls it out from under me. And I think that he, really got me to think differently as an HR leader. I, I love that. And I was, uh, first of all, uh, I, I love what you shared with both Simon, by the way, I, I love how he shares that. Cause I think there's a lot of people that forget how smart they are and how capable they are and how they belong. Right. A lot of people forget that. Uh, but, but with Bob, you know, before, you know, when you start telling me a story, I'm thinking, well, he believed in you, but, but then, but then I thought, well, yes, he did believe in you, but it's because when he challenged you about, Hey, what's the business case you executed. And, and I just, I want to ask that because there's a big HR community listing, uh, HR mobility, a lot of business leaders listing. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, when we find a problem, we got to build business cases around that, but business cases are sometimes hard right? They, they, they take time, they take people. I'm just curious, like when he challenged you uh, and said, hey, what's the business case on that? What's your first thought? Are you going and are you talking to your team? Are you, are you going to your experience? What is your first thought around that? So to me, I think a very big part of business is how well are you networked? And how quickly can you get answers to questions? And so, for instance, if, if I walk in today and say, I think that everyone should get a 4% increase this year. Hmm. I'm going to be asked, based on what? Where are you pulling that from? Why do you think that's important? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and 
if I walk in and say, I have done a survey of all the major hotel brands and the average increase this year is gonna be X and I want us to do a little bit more to retain our top players, that's a different conversation. And, mm. and you know, a, I'll give you a very real example. Okay. The hospitality industry, well, all industries are hurting from the great resignation, but hospitality, pre-COVID, there were not enough cooks and culinarians to, to fill the jobs that were open in this industry. It's always been a challenge. And during COVID, it got much worse. And so now we're reopening our hotels, we're ramping up our resorts, we don't have enough culinarians, which means we can't open the restaurant. And a lot of us do international recruiting. And so we went to our international recruiting company and said, you know, we're competing with every major brand. How can we get these students to pick Omni first? And they said, oh, that's easy give them a scholarship to come. I'm like, what does the scholarship look like? They're like, give them a few thousand dollars, buy their plane ticket to the US, they will come with you and help them find housing. So I went back to the company and said, A, I need scholarship money. B, there's some resorts where we have housing and somewhere we don't. We need to put rooms aside. So we need to take rooms out of inventory that we could sell to guests to house international students so that we can be open. And it worked. We got, this is between October and um, December. I got 120 cooks from Ecuador and Europe and everything with these scholarships. Last summer, I hired 150 college kids and housed them in our hotels and paid them a signing bonus and paid them an extra bonus if they stayed till the end of the summer because we know it's a big problem when people leave in August. We promised them if you stay with us to the end of the summer, not only will you get a check because other companies did that too, we will guarantee you you will go into our management training program when you graduate. Mm. It's things like that that... I was able to show, here's what other companies are doing. Here's what we need to do if we want to be at the front of the line. And here's what we need to do to keep people. And because it's our money and it's our owner, I feel like I'm able to do that faster rather than just saying, I think this is what we should do. It's completely different when you have facts behind it. I love that. I love that. And, and, you know, when you're able to do that, then all of a sudden you're able to develop influence right in the workplace and, and bring people along with you. I, oh man, that is so good. I, I want to ask, I want to ask you, you know, let's, let's talk leadership here. Cause that, when I look at the, when I listen to that story, I'm sitting here thinking, man, that is leadership leaders. They stand up and they stand out, especially during crisis. Uh, and, and I would love, I always like to ask my guests, first of all, I like to ask like Joy, if someone said, Hey, what, what is leadership? How, how would you respond to that? I think it's, um, it's courage, it's principles, um, it's setting a vision. It's, it's taking the bullets for the team. Mm. I also think it's being vulnerable. Um, you know, and during COVID, we were, we were building the plane while we were flying it. <laughs> I mean, 
February of 2020, I had 22,000 employees. Okay. March 20th of 2020, I had 1,800. We laid off almost the entire company. We closed almost every hotel. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, this is going to last for 60 days. But we didn't have a playbook for this. And, mm -hmm. and we were doing a lot of very difficult things. And I remember, you know, we would do calls with the executives from every hotel every week. I remember many times saying, guys, I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do, but we're gonna do this. Mm. And there was a lot of, um, you know, there were, we made a lot of great decisions. We made some bad decisions. And last um, two weeks ago, when we had our conference, we stood up in front of the company and said, here's what we did during COVID. Some of you got hurt and were furloughed. Some of you stayed and that was almost worse because you worked harder than you ever did in your life. Mm. And here's what we did to try to recognize you. And, and here's some of the unique things that we did as a company along the way to try to help you. But it was a time when you really figured out who the leaders were. Mm who the leaders were not. And, and it was being, you know, I, I think willing to stand up and say, I'm going to be accountable for this stuff. And if I do it right, great. And if I do it wrong, it's the one throat to choke. I'm not going to point fingers. I don't like finger pointers. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I can just like, as you're telling the story, I have like chills thinking yeah. about how heavy that time was, but yet here you are, you're, you know, you just work through the process and you're able to, you know, come out of it. And, and I, I want to ask you though, you know, I've, I've seen some silver linings though, right? Because of what COVID, like it pushed us into doing some things we may have not wanted to do or thought about doing, but yet once we start doing them, we're like, Hey, but like, for example, uh, on the moving side, right. We start doing more virtual surveys and before, Everyone wanted us to make sure we're at the home. Well, right. customers now are saying, hey, I kind of like this virtual survey. I can do it early in the morning or late at night. There's more convenience. What about what about you and your team? Any silver linings that you've seen that you are using today because of the last couple of years? Oh, I, oh yes. So total coincidence, we had started working with McKinsey prior to COVID. And we had a plan that we would have centralized recruiting by 2024. Okay. What does that mean? Prior to COVID, every Omni hotel had at least one recruiter on the ground in their hotel doing the recruiting. Some hotels had two and three. We said, it would be more efficient for us to do recruiting in a, from a centralized location. Let the hotels have total control over who they hire, but we're gonna feed you candidates. We're gonna coordinate international recruiting. We're gonna coordinate college recruiting. All of this was decentralized. So during COVID, we did the whole thing. I've got 25 people in this office that do nothing but recruiting, college recruiting, international recruiting. It took us up to 50 days, an average of 50 days to fill a job pre-COVID. 
We're down to 26. Oh, that's great. And we did it all by the end of 21. Um, we centralized payroll. We, we had a paymaster in every Omni. Now we've got, I don't know, 11 people here that are paying everybody in every state. Um, there's a lot of practices that we said to ourselves, if we were gonna do this all over again, would we build it this way? And the answer was no. Mm. And so I think COVID has allowed us to be a more efficient business, be a smarter business. And one of the things that I have focused on, I want my HR directors at the properties because I have an HR team at every hotel. Yeah. I want them to focus on culture, Mm. development, training. I don't want them filling out benefit forms or payroll forms or checking references. And so I have tried to take what I consider to be the, the low value add HR work and bring it up here so that I've got clerical people doing clerical things and the HR leaders at the hotel are out there to shake hands and kiss babies and figure out who should be promoted and, and kind of spread the culture, which is what they like to do and what they're good at. And, I, I, and, I, I, and, you know, there's more every day. I'm finding more things to say, should we be doing it this way? You know, you kind of, and I never, I was, I was, um, it was very hard for me to get my head around centralizing some of these processes but now that we've done them, we're, we're better. We're a better company for it. And we proved, you know, I had to hire 500 people in Boston last fall in the middle of the Delta variant. We hired them in Boston. I've got, you know, 600 people in Oklahoma. We figured it out with centralized recruiting. So it can be done. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, since you said that, I was reading something on LinkedIn and it said that it was on your profile. It says cultural evangelist yes. for 20,000 plus associates. Uh, talk about that. Like why? So why is that so important? And, and not number one, why is it so important? Number two, now that we're in this kind of new world of work, you know, I mean, you're working at your hotels, but you probably have some remote work going on too. Like how much more important is it now than ever? I, I don't think it's ever been more important than it is right now. Um, and I kind of had that moniker. I gave it to myself before this, but when you think in the last six months of 2021, 20 million people quit their job. Yeah, okay. In the United States. And 10% of the people that quit were in my industry. So that's A. B, 70% of an employee's engagement comes from their relationship with their manager. And if you are engaged with your manager, it takes over a 20% pay increase to get you to move. If you are not engaged with your manager, you'll go for the same money just to get away. And so we really believe the culture and the engagement with your manager is the key to success. And we spend an awful lot of time on it. Um, we just revised all of our internal branding to reflect 
new core belief. We, we've already always had core values, but we distilled them down into four. And we really think culture makes the difference because let's face it, if you're in our industry, there's a lot of places you can go. Mm. A lot of places you can go. But if you feel like you're treated well, I always say we want to be the best eight hours of an employee's day. Mm. Low jobs. I want the meal in the cafeteria to be the best. I want the way they're treated to be the best. I want them to know, you know, if they fall on hard times, the company's there for them. And we have this wonderful charitable foundation that, that does that. But we really believe in investing in culture because otherwise, I'm a big Amazon customer, okay? Yeah. But everything I have read about Amazon, it doesn't sound like a good culture. They are probably the highest minimum wage in the United States at $17.75, and they have massive turnover. Mm. So if you're paying the highest, but you have the highest turnover, there's something wrong. And so I, I, I think that culture is, is a game changer for us. We, we certainly believe in you. Okay. If you're listening to the podcast right now, you need to write down what Joy just said. I want to be the best eight hours of your day. That that's beautiful. Number one. Uh, hey, let me, let me ask you this. Ed. I, I love what you're saying. I love everything you're, you're saying. I think culture is super important. And you talk about, I love the statistics you shared because uh, we know the relationships are the key, right? Uh, but, yeah. so, so speak to the, the, the listeners who might be in, in an HRO and they're trying to, they're trying to, they need, they know they need to engage with these business unit managers, right? They need to do some of the things that you're doing where you said, Hey, go out there and work on culture. What are, what is something that you maybe shared with your team or, or maybe you would share with the listeners? What's a couple of things that they can do to kind of get started? Cause they may say, you know what? It's time. I know I need to do that. So I, I would tell you, first of all, do you have support at the top of the organization mm. to drive this? Because that's where it all begins. And, um, you know, we, we had a speaker years ago. His name was Stan Slap. And he said, you can't sell it outside if you can't sell it inside. Mm. So we believe the way we treat you is how you're going to treat the guests. So we believe that. So first of all, does, does your company even believe that? And, and does this matter to them? Because that to me is a very big hurdle. But if that, if you feel you have that and you have buy-in that culture matters and we're going to invest in this, then I think you have to figure out you know, what do we stand for? And it's, you know, we have a, a vision and a mission and, and, you know, we want to create memorable experiences with local flavor, but what, what do we want to stand for? And, and at Omni, it's very simple. We have a core belief that Omni means all mm. and that we want everybody to feel that they are empowered to create a wonderful experience, not only for the guests, but also for their co-workers. That's our core belief. And that's why we feel more like a family than a company. And then we say, we want to have a heart for all. So that means community service is important to Omni, 
you need to get out and help your community. And, you know, we have a great program called Say Goodnight to Hunger, which is fo focused on food insecurity. We have guest facing programs, we have employee facing programs, but, but the message is clear. You can't just come to work in the hotel every day. You have to find community causes and embrace them. Um, you know, the power of all, the people feel empowered. We have something called growing our garden. Here it is, garden. So are you looking at internal talent first? We'd rather develop you than go find a stranger that might not fit the culture. And everybody knows it. And we've got training programs that support it. And so community service, empowerment, internal development. And then finally, we have something called the Trilogy that has been around since the 70s. And that is, in order to be successful, you have to satisfy the needs of the customer, the associate, and the owner. And uh. so pendulum swings to the owner, and sometimes it swings to the associate, and sometimes to the guest. But over time and over balance, it needs to be equal. And, and I think people would tell you, at the beginning of COVID, we swung way too far to the owner, and it didn't feel balanced. And then we started to swing back, but we had messaging around it. Hmm. So at the beginning of COVID, when all the hotels are closed, our mantra was lose less. So lose, is, lose the least amount of money you can lose in this pandemic. Then we changed it to deliver more. Okay, we're coming out of this. You know, lose less might mean you only have the restaurant open three nights a week. Deliver more, that restaurant's open every day no matter how many customers are in there. So we're switching toward the guest, maybe a little bit away from the owner, but over time, it's a triangle and, and you have to have all sides. I love that, oh so my yeah, gosh. So, so, and so what that means, Bruce, in the terms of cultural evangelism, I can sit in a meeting and we could have a really great associate that wants a certain job. And we have a hot shot from the outside that wants the same job. And I can say, we have a core value, grow the garden, we're gonna, we're gonna go here. Or, you know, we have a bonus plan. It can't only be based on financial. If we're gonna say we're balanced, there's gotta be guest metrics in there. There's gotta be employee mm -hmm. metrics in there and there's gotta be owner metrics in there. So that everything you do perpetuates the message. Mm. So you good. Figure out what you stand for. I love that. It, it's all about alignment. I, I love that. And, and by the way, I'm going to steal this. You cannot sell on the outside what you can't sell on the inside. I love that. That is, oh my gosh. That's so hey, I, I want to ask you, you are like very, so much energy, right? So much passion. Yes. What, like what drives you as a leader, Joy? Um, you know, I. I've been here a long time. I'm very invested in the company, but I also have to say the thing I love the most is seeing people that came to Omni in one job and now they're in a different job because someone gave them a chance because that was my career story. At every juncture, yes, I raised my hand and said, I would like that job sometimes, sometimes I didn't, but Somebody always said, 
let's throw you in the ocean and see if you can swim. And I really believe in that. And, and Bruce, this is a horrible statistic, but I was at a conference and a woman said, um, when, a, when there's a job posted, a woman thinks she needs like 75% of the qualifications to apply and a man thinks he needs 15%. <laughs> so women kind of hold themselves back. And, and I, um, I like to push people, be it women or men, and see them take the next step. And, and, and that gives me a lot of energy. I love that. Oh my gosh. What like, like, I feel like when you just shared that, you're like sharing this purpose you have inside of you. Like I have this purpose to, to encourage women, right. To, to, to go be great. I, I just, I love that. It's funny. Cause my daughter is in business school. She's about to graduate. And one of her friends asked if she could interview me and so one of the first questions she said is she said, you know, what advice do you have for me? Because I'm a woman and I go into the room and I'm inferior. And I said, okay, stop. I said, that's a narrative you're telling yourself. Mm. But women do it a lot. And I did it to myself early in my career until Simon Cooper told me to shake his hand and get out. I think that you have to operate from I deserve to be here I have good ideas and and this is a funny story I won't say the name of the person because it's pretty well known but when I came back to Omni I read this book by Ken Blanchard called Gung Ho and it was kind of corny um but it was about this Indian and he was dying but he had like these three life lessons and one was about a squirrel and one was about a goose and I, I said to my supervisor, I just read this book. I, I was really inspired by it. And I'd like to bring it up at the next board meeting. And he said, oh, don't do that. You look like an idiot. So I said, okay. So we get to the board meeting and our owner comes in. I will never forget this. He said, I'm sorry, I'm a little late. He said, I just had lunch with that author, Ken Blanchard. He, he said, have you read Gung Ho? It's amazing. <laughs> I gave the dirtiest look to the person who told me not to do it. But that told me from now on, do what you think you should do. Like, so what? What's the worst thing that can happen? Someone's going to laugh at you or tell you you're dumb or whatever. So what? You, you got you to gotta stick up for what you believe. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I can just imagine, you know, your supervisor thinking, man, did she go to the owner and tell him to come in there and say, that? and you want to know something, this, this comes full circle. So now it's, I don't know, 20 years later, I was meeting with an author that spoke at one of our conferences and he happened to know Ken Blanchard. And I told him that story. And about a month later, I get in the mail the gung-ho book, autographed by Ken Blanchard. He said, I heard that you tried to <laughs> Like that was such a full circle moment, but it's such a statement about people not wanting to take a chance. And, um, you know, I think you gotta take chances to be a leader and hopefully you, you take more good chances than you don't, but 
if you don't try new things, you're, you're never going to move forward. Oh my gosh. You're right. And, and I just, I love that. I love how Ken Blanchard uh, heard that. And then he sent you a book, like what a memorable moment. That is so fantastic. It really was. It was amazing. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's funny because, you know, so many things have happened to me in my career, but those stories, like they stick out to me and I tell them again and again, when I see younger people that, you know, aren't sure they want to try something, I'm like, do it. What's the worst that can happen? Hey, I want to ask you one uh, final question before we shift to it's time to accelerate to, to end our show. I want. I, I was thinking about this. I mean, you, you're a lifer, right? You've been in yes. it for a long time. You've had some, it's been an incredible journey. You, you're an amazing, very admired leader, but, but I want to, I want to ask you this. Surely there were times and, and, and I want, I want to ask this question for, for listeners that might be, you know, sometimes I think about, you know what, maybe is it time for me to leave and do something else? Right. I, I you know, uh, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you, were there, were there ever times where you thought, you know what, maybe it's time I need to, to move on. Or did you just always have a mindset that, man, I'm pressing on. I love the company. What was your, like, what's been your mindset going through your journey as far as uh, should you stay or should you go? You know, I, First of all, I love what I do and I'm very passionate about the brand. Yeah. So I have had calls like everybody else has had over the years. And it always seems to be about money. And I see a lot of people leave for money. And, and yes, if people dangled a lot of money in front of me over the years, yes. But it was never anything I was passionate about. And, and I feel like, I helped build this company and, you know, the company can survive without Joy Rothschild. That, that's, <laughs> it absolutely can. So I don't want to act like I'm the company, but I love it. And I love the people and I love the relationships and I felt well cared for. And, and I just feel like it has the values that I espouse. The values are here. And so no, I, I have never, first of all, I've never felt that anyone's kind of enticed me enough to look at something else. But I also feel like every day, every week, someone's telling me how much they love me, how much they like, why would I go anywhere else? And, um, and so, no, I, I haven't had those career uh, moments that I think a lot of people had. Now, now during COVID, you know, I'm in my 60s. And I was like, I do not want this to be the last thing I do. So, so where, you know, I'm about to turn 65 next week, actually. But, you know, whatever life plan I had, and when I was thinking of retiring, like, I'm like, first of all, I could never leave the company during a crisis. Yeah. But I also felt like, I want to build this company back up. And, and we've been doing that for a year now. And it's, it's a brand new challenge that I've never had in my career. So it, that keeps me energized too. Like I'm not doing the same job I was doing five years ago or two years ago. It's, it's constantly um, changing. Well, first of all, let me just say happy birthday. This is actually okay. going to be played after your birthday. So a very happy birthday to you, Joy. Hey, um, 
I just want to say, I appreciate you sharing that because what I heard you say, what I heard you say was, I know what my values are and they're in alignment with this organization. They're in alignment with the people. And and so I've been, I just, I'm celebrating my 18th year at Armstrong. I just got a nice email from the HR department and I start thinking about, you know, every time I've got, I'll use the word stuck, right? Every time I got stuck and I'm like, Hey, is it time? Do I need to say and I've always said when I took the role at Armstrong, I wanted, I'm taking it for two reasons, right? Number one, I was looking for autonomy. I didn't care what I got paid. I just wanted to be able to work the 60 hours a week that I wanted to work, right? I could pick those times so I could be at my kids' ball games or I could do what, you know, things outside. Autonomy, number two, I want to be surrounded by great leaders. Every time I've thought about it, I always go back to those two values. Do I still have autonomy? Am I still surrounded by great people? If the answer is yes, it doesn't matter what the money is. So what you're saying during this whole entire conversation is uh, leaders go out there and develop these relationships, build that culture to make it the best eight hours of work that people have each day their their best eight hours i just love everything about that did i get that right you got it right (laughs) and you know what it's and if you don't feel that way then it is time to move on but i cannot think of a day where i didn't feel like i'm excited to go in i love to be here i've got stuff to do i've been having fun and and i can Uh. myself you know, I can bring my whole self to work. I'm loud. I'm pushy. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a lot of things that Texans are not, but I'm celebrated for who I am here. And that's, that's another big deal. I love that. I told you the time was going to fly. We're going to jump into it. it's time to accelerate the last few minutes of the show. And I'm going to ask you just a few questions. First question I always like to ask my guests uh, is, would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? I'd rather listen to a book. <laughs> listen to I like that should be a third choice. Listen a to a book. I, I'd say I, I'm an I'm a voracious reader, so I'd probably have to say. Yeah, that's fantastic. By the way, I'm going to put every young person I know would rather listen to a podcast. By the way, I'm going to put that link uh, to Gung Ho in the show because if somebody wants to check that out, I also recommend that. Hey, let me ask you this, Joy. Outside of all of the work, and you work a lot, I know you do. Outside of your work, what energizes you? Oh, wow. Well, my kids and my husband, um, definitely that. I love to exercise. I, I used to run um, marathons and half marathons. Mm. Now I can't, but I walk them. Not a, not a full half, but I have a group of women that I walk with four days a week. I love Peloton. I love to travel. I love to cook. I, I have a lot of... Um, that are not work and and I think that is really important that you have to have something besides work you have to have friends that are not from work like you have to have another life um and and I see too many workaholics that don't have that I, I think that's really important I love that I love that well, I know you still have a, a, a few years left in, in uh, where you're at. I want to I always like to ask this question. I'm, I'm so I'm going to ask you too. 10 years older. So Joy, 10 years older, is knocking at your front door. And you're going to go answer that door. 
what is she going to tell you? I think maybe travel more, do more nonprofit work. And I, 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 I'm doing more things with my synagogue, like do, do some things to help others that are not at work. You know, I've chosen my helping others at work, but there's a lot of people in need that don't have anything to do with work. So find, find that. Um, not much because I feel like I'm living the life I want to live. I love that. <laughs> that's a, that's a wise joy. Oh my gosh. I've enjoyed my time with you so much. Hey, for someone that heard something on the show today and they're like, Oh man, I would love to like follow up or learn more about this. How is the best way for people to connect with you? Is there a way they could connect? Uh, yeah. LinkedIn is the best way. Hey me on LinkedIn or message me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on it. And I also think you will see, if you follow me on LinkedIn or connect with me on LinkedIn, you'll see what I'm talking about with Omni and a lot of the ways that we celebrate and put our arms around people and help people. You'll see it there. I love that. And I always like to mention, if you're going to connect with any of the guests on, on LinkedIn, just be sure and let them know you heard them on Life in the Leadership Lane yes. or maybe something they said and they will like, it's like a deeper connection. Yes. Uh, so I love, listen, I'm grateful for you coming on the show, sharing your wisdom, your perspective. I know it's going to help people that are listening. And, and for that, I say, thank you so much. I appreciate your friendship and everything you're doing for the HR community, Joy. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. It's great to see you again. Oh my gosh. It's so good to see years. you. I cannot wait to share this. I'll talk to you later. Thank you.